We're going to be in the book of Exodus again, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I'll be honest with you, we've been in the Ten Commandments now for, I don't know, three, four weeks, something like that, and uh, last week, whenever I ended, I basically tried to summarize what I'm going to say today in the final, like, two or three minutes of my sermon. So, um, I had planned on moving on from the Ten Commandments today. This was not on the sermon calendar. This was not my plan to stick around in the Ten Commandments. But all day Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, I just couldn't, I couldn't honestly shake where, where God had us at, the, at, at, at that moment. I couldn't, there was something in me that just said, no, 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 it's not time to move on. It's time to stay here one more week. I tried my best to, uh, to move on. Uh, but, but the Spirit wouldn't let me. And so the Spirit's led me to stay here and, and to spend one more week looking, at, uh, looking at, at what we're studying here in, uh, in the Ten Commandments. And so I don't know, uh, my assumption is someone here needs to hear what I've got to say today. Perhaps everyone here needs to hear what I have to say today, or maybe I just need to preach it for myself. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to encourage you guys to kind of lean in a little bit this morning and see what God has for us. And we're going to take a deep dive on what I used to think was an exception within the Ten Commandments. Like the other nine still counted, but this one, for whatever reason, didn't. At least it only kind of halfway did or halfway didn't. But the more I pray and the more I study, the more I think that this is a great commandment for us to see how the law in the Old Testament, how the commandments in the Old Testament work together with how the commands and the, the law apply for us today. There was a time, if you lived in the U.S., at least in the South, that just about everything would shut down on Sundays. So the idea that you could walk across the street and get a cup of coffee would have been absolutely forbidden. That just did not happen. There was a time when you, there, you, you didn't go to Walmart, you didn't go to a department store, you didn't go to a gas station, you didn't go to the grocery store, you didn't go to any of these places because they were all closed. Sunday mornings, Sundays all together were off limits. These were what, what were known as blue laws that enforced these. Anybody know about blue laws? Remember blue laws a little bit? Remember some instance of that? So that used to be all over the place that you couldn't do these things. And the, the blue laws basically said it was against the law to be open for commerce on Sundays. And the reason for this is because it was the Sabbath. No retail shopping, nothing. Some of those kind of remnants of blue laws remain today. You can't buy alcohol here in Tennessee on Sundays. You can't, uh, most retail stores have reduced hours on Sundays. They, they don't open till noon. They close at 6 or 10 to 6 or something like that on a Sunday. Perhaps Chick-fil-A is best known for their stance of being closed on Sundays so that they're not open at all because it's the Lord's Day. So they keep their restaurants closed in what is estimated to be a loss of Tens of millions of dollars every year. They stay closed because Sunday is a day that's supposed to be kept to God. That's all remnants of blue laws. Some of those are intentional. Some of those are just how things kind of still work here in the U.S. And they received that name, blue laws, because of the color of the ticket you would receive back in the Puritan days whenever you broke a, a Sabbath rule or you tried to sell something, you would receive a blue ticket that said you shouldn't be doing this. You might, you might get fined or, or anything like that. You'd be ticketed and it would go on a blue piece of paper and that's where the blue laws came from us. For many of us, we can remember growing up with strict rules of what could or could not be done on Sundays. 
If you saw someone mowing their yard on Sunday, what you knew is that that person was a total heathen. Like, they were not allowed to do that. You could not be outside mowing your yard on a Sunday because that meant that you probably didn't go to church and you probably didn't love Jesus. So, because you were mowing your yard, you're not supposed to do that at all. Many of you still have uh, parents who do that. Some of you may still uh, practice that, have that, law, that, that rule kind of in place in your own home. So the question is, what is this? Were people mowing their yards on Sundays just misguided people that, that just don't understand, the, the, that, are, that are tied to the world and don't have a conscience? Or were they just kind of okay to do what they're doing? Why has this become almost obsolete today? Now, it's not completely obsolete, and I'll tell you going into this up front that this is a, a, a discussion amongst Christians that has varying different viewpoints and can be applied in different ways. And so what I'm going to tell you this morning is how I see this playing out today, some kind of universal things that are definitely true, and then how it plays out for you may be a little bit different. Smart people, way smarter than me, come down on different sides of this on what this looks like. But there's some things we can acknowledge that's true across the board. But why is it that it's almost, blue laws are almost like a a thing of the past? Is it just because our culture is so secular? Were Christians wrong in the first place? Have Christians changed their view on the Sabbath? Should we go back to the days when everything was shut down on Sundays? What is it that we should do when we start talking about the Sabbath? So before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I think we need to read the commandment and make a few observations. So let's read from Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, back in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I've hinted over the last few weeks that this command is a little bit different than the others. It's not different in the sense that it it doesn't apply while the other nine do. It's different in the sense that the first three deal directly with our relationship with God. The final six deal with our relationship with one another. This one kind of bridges the gap there. Now, most commentators would put it in the first category that it has to do with our relationship with God, but that's not necessarily the case. And I want to kind of make a few observations that that, that shows that. So verse 10 tells us that the Sabbath is to the Lord your God. That's how verse 10 ends. It tells us the Sabbath is to the Lord your God. So this establishes the primary purpose of the day. It is to be marked for God. It is on whatever place we come down as far as what's allowed and what's not. It is, at minimum, something that tells us about our relationship with God. He tells us that day is a day that he claims rights to. He claims rights to it. It has to do with our relationship with him. But the way that Moses goes, then goes on to describe today kind of broadens our impact and our, uh, the, the impact and our view of it. He goes on and he says, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. 
So the reason God spells out all of this this way is because he knows how the human heart works, right? He understands how the human heart works. Because we would say, fine, I'll rest. I won't work this day, but I'll put my servants out in the field and they'll take care of it. I'll put my son to work. I'll put my daughter to work and they'll take care of what I would have done anyway. So I will rest, but I'll put them to work. And so this day would be marked only for a very select few. And God wants to make it clear that his people need to be marked by this day. And so he restricts activity for everyone. God is declaring to his people, you will be different in the way that you approach this day. You will not value the same things that Egypt did. You will not value the same things that the people around you value. You will value me above all else. You will not work yourself work yourself to death. You will not work your slaves or your servants or your people to death for this day. You will be marked by this day, and part of how you will be marked is through rest. So what you see is that this day is tied to both our relationship to God and our relationship to others around us. So it kind of, that's why I say it bridges the gap between love God and love others. And so my first observation that I want to make about this is that the Sabbath is about rest. Now this shouldn't come as any surprise if you've talked about the Sabbath before, if, we've, uh, if, you've, if you've ever thought much about it. You know that part of a Sabbath is rest. It is a call for us to stop our work, to stop our quote-unquote progress, to stop ordering our lives around commerce and labor and production, and instead to do exactly the opposite, to produce nothing. We are called to stop. There are few things, and this is what makes this command so difficult. Remember, I've told you, you don't need to give a command for something you would already do. And some of you guys are thinking, well, I would rest. I would love to rest. That would be fantastic if I could rest. You don't have to tell me to rest. I'll take a nap freely. I'm glad to take a nap. That's fine. You don't have to command me to do that. But here's the thing. We do have to command, have that command for us to do this. Because there's nothing that flies against human nature more than this. We as people are wired to work. You may be thinking, no, I hate my job. I don't want to go to work. I'm not interested in doing work. Maybe so. But it doesn't change the fact that your default position is to do something. To go after something. To pursue something. To work it doesn't matter if I'm talking about the, the, the sales exec that's got 60 hours he's got to get in the books or 70 hours he's got to get in the book or so many sales calls he's got to get in in a week or if I'm talking about a stay-at-home mom who has no schedule and is always on the clock, we are wired to work, hate it or not. Our human bodies are made to thrive in work. The human body will malfunction if we stay at rest for too long. Our body's physiology is made to work better when we work. Our psyches gain pleasure and satisfaction when we complete tasks. Mentally, we are, we are wired to work. Our muscles grow and our endurance deepens whenever we work, especially when you consider the, the, the type of work that, that Moses would have been talking about to, uh, to the, the people of Israel, very much physical labor. 
For them, almost all work was almost entirely physical. And while our work may look different for some today, the fact still remains that our human bodies are made to work, to produce, to do something. Our minds are made to thrive on completing and producing things. Our economy is predicated on the idea that people will work. If people do not work, our economy will fall apart. The entire economic machine breaks down when people don't work. Our own success is built on our ability to work. After all, the early bird gets the worm, the rolling stone gathers no moss. All of these cliches and these things are all built around the idea that we got to work, and we got to work hard, and we got to work harder than the next guy. This is the way we are built. There are few things more accepted in our culture today than for us to respond when asked, how you doing, for us to say, busy. That is the default and accepted response. You can say, good. You can't say bad. Nobody's allowed to say bad because then it's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't really mean for you to tell me how you were really doing. Like, it's either good or busy. That's the two answers that you can give. And if it's busy, it's kind of like this wink and, wink and a nod at each other like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I'm busy. And if somebody says you're busy, the last thing you, that they're busy, the last thing that you can say is, really, I'm not. I'm not busy at all. I'm just kind of watching a ball game today. Like, that's really all I'm doing today. I'm not busy. You can't say that. If you say that, it comes across that you're lazy, that you're somehow less than the other person, right? You can't say that you're not busy. You have to say you're busy or you're not going to be accepted in this culture. And yet God stands in direct opposition to all of that. And he says to his people, you're not going to be that way. You're going to be different. For at least one day out of seven, you will do things differently. Your economies may or may not take a hit. Your production may or may not go down. Your bodies may or may not get stronger. None of that matters. I've declared that I get one of your days every week. You will stop what you're doing and you will rest. God is going to teach us that our rest, one Sabbath day per week, is an act of faith in Him. It shows to ourselves, to those that are closest to us, and to a watching world around us, that even though this seems to fly in the face of everything that makes sense, everything that my mind is telling me I should do, I'm going to stop and I'm going to rest because this is what God has called me to do. And in doing so, what we do, this is how this is an act of faith, what we do is we are trusting that life will not fall apart because we stop and rest and give Him this day. And while we love to celebrate the Protestant work ethic, those that work hard, and rightfully so, that's a good thing to celebrate. We don't want to knock that. Sometimes the most God-honoring thing we can do is take a break. I once heard a, a theologian, D.A. Carson, I've told you this before, say sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. And this is because it communicates that we trust that God has it all under control. That he is active, that he is at work, and that our work is not what keeps the world spinning. It is him. 
It is the world operating under His sovereign authority, not us running on a hamster wheel that makes this world go around. We have to be able to stop, to back away, and to say, God, I trust that You've got this under control, and I don't have to produce something right now in order for things to continue going here. I love the way the psalmist says it in a couple of different places. Psalm chapter 4, verse 6, this is, what, this is what the psalmist says. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The psalmist says, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to go to bed because I know that my safety is not ultimately dependent upon my controls, dependent upon God's active work in my life. And so the psalmist says, I can lay down and I can be happy and I can rest peacefully because this doesn't ultimately depend on me. My success, my joy, my happiness is not ultimately depending, dependent upon my bottom line at the end of seven days. We don't trust our own ability to keep us safe, but instead we have so much faith in God that we can just lie down and sleep. Psalm 127, a very popular psalm, Psalm 127, says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Do you get that? The watchman can stay awake all he wants. It's all in vain because it's God that's doing the work. Asleep or awake, it doesn't matter. It's God who's in control. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. It's a beautiful way for us to think about what it means to trust in God. To trust in God gives us a rest and an assurance that can't be bought any other way, that no amount of production can give us. So the first thing that we want to see here about the Sabbath is that it is about rest. That the rest is ultimately about trusting in God's commands and plans. That He knows best what makes us happiest. You want to know a good way to know how, how you view rest? That is for you to be around or be in someone's life whenever someone has received a terrible diagnosis or when someone is, is, is dying. Because when you are around a person like that, what you can understand is that my production ultimately doesn't help anything here. What helps everything here is to know that God is in control. It's not going to help us to, 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 to be able to sit with someone who's facing suffering and enduring long suffering and to be able to say, I need to do more. When you know that no matter what you do, it's not going to, to fix those things. It is only in trusting God. And so if we lay down our efforts and our attempt for more, then in the end, God will grant us with enough. If we trust Him to provide, then we can ease our own burden to be the provider. So that's our first observation. The second observation that we can make, pulling right here from this command, is recognition recognition. So the first is rest. The second is recognition. And here's what I mean by this. Look at me with me in, in, in verse 11. Verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it 
holy. The Sabbath is a built-in cycle in our lives every seven days. And it recognizes that the one who created us, the one who created our world, established this pattern in the world. So this isn't just something that's true of Christians. This is true of the world. This is true of all people. This pattern is built into creation itself. God gives Moses a reason for this command, and that's because God made everything in six days, and then he chose to rest on the, on the seventh day. Not because he needed it, not because he had to because he was tired, but, but because he was establishing a pattern by which his creation would flourish and be bound to. So for us, so for us as his creation, not just Christians, as his creation, we must recognize that God had both a plan and a pattern for his creation to follow. And as we honor that pattern, we are effectively saying to the rest of the world, this is how work is supposed to work. This is what work is supposed to look like. This is the pattern that God established, and you'd be better off if you quit working against it. You can't just keep going and going and going and going. God hasn't made you to function that way. God has not established your life to succeed that way. God has not established a pattern for you to flourish if you just work as hard as you can without stop. We should be able to say we recognize this pattern and we must stop working so much and rest. That despite all these other things about the way our, our bodies and our minds are hardwired, that the way God has intended for us to function is for us to find a place where we can stop and rest. So taking the Sabbath serious, seriously recognizes both the Creator and the Creator's divine pattern for how we are to function. And the third thing that the Sabbath teaches us is to remember to remember. So rest, recognize, remember. So for this one, I'm going to move to another spot in the Old Testament where it talks about the Ten Commandments. So turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Just a couple of books over. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How many of y'all just sing like a song to remember that so you get there? Deuteronomy chapter 5, you get there. Verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. What you have here is another giving of the Ten Commandments, so to speak. But this is not because the commandments were given twice. The, the word Deuteronomy means second law, literally. And what Deuteronomy is, is basically going back and recapping Exodus and Leviticus and the giving of the law, and it gives us Moses' kind of commentary on it. The book of Deuteronomy is effectively three sermons by Moses on which he has given commentary about the law and the purpose of the law. So what we see here is Moses restating the Ten Commandments, and he gives us a little bit of an extra commentary here in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, your livestock, your sojourner who is within your gates, your male servant, your female servant, 
may rest as well as you. All sounds the same, right? In verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Moses gives us a second thing to consider with the Sabbath. The first was grounded in creation. And now, as he talks to the people of Israel, he grounds the Sabbath day also in their redemption, their creation and their redemption. So what he wants us to see is that, yes, the pattern is established in creation, but the Sabbath serves another purpose for us as well. It serves to help us to remember, to remember when God saved us, to remember when God set us free, to remember when God redeemed us. The Sabbath is an intentional rhythm in the life of God's people so that they weekly stop everything they are doing and they remember what God has done. I'll say that again. The Sabbath is an intentional rhythm in the life of God's people so that weekly they stop everything that they are doing and remember what God has done. This is why the Sabbath for Christians moves from Saturdays as it would have been for Moses and, his, and the people of Israel when he gave this law to Sundays today. Because the Sabbath has been replaced by what the New Testament calls the Lord's Day. And when I say replaced, I just mean it's shifted a little bit. It's shifted days. And why does it shift days? It's because of what we say here all the time. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday for us. Every Sunday we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday that's what we do. Not just Easter Sunday, not just, you know, on Palm Sunday or on Good Friday. That's not the only time that the resurrection matters. The resurrection matters for every moment. What we sang, your life, your death, all of it, for every moment. So we gather every Sunday, as has been the pattern of the church, since the first day when Jesus came out of the grave. We have followed that pattern. And why? Because we are doing exactly what is intended in the Sabbath. We are remembering, we are stopping to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which is now in the new covenant, the way in which God has saved us, which he has redeemed us, which he has rescued us. So do you see how those work together? How in the Old Testament, Moses is pointing back to the Exodus, and I told you back Back on Easter Sunday, that the Exodus and crossing the Red Sea has so many pictures for us in the New Testament. And this is one of them in the Sabbath. We remember what God has done. That is now part of our Sabbath. And this is where the writer of Hebrews picks up for us and helps us out to see what the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath is. Remember I said a few weeks ago about the law that none of it is gone. So this command is not gone. It's not like, oh, no, 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 no. We, we don't have to worry about the Sabbath. We don't have to do this kind of stuff because that's all part of the Old Covenant. This is, the Old Covenant is now fulfilled in Christ. It's not, it's not made to a point where it just disappears. It's fulfilled in Christ. Not one jot or tittle is what Christ says, that, that all of it will be fulfilled. Now, we're not bound to it the same way as those were under Moses because we're now found in Christ. And here's where the, the, the greater picture comes for us in the book of Hebrews. So you can turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and chapter 4. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Over in the New Testament. 
Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews. It is a complicated chapter. It's a complicated argument that the writer is making. But basically what he's doing in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 is he's, he, he's talking about what has been promised to, to Moses and the people of Israel. And then he's comparing that to what now Christ has fulfilled and now shows us in the New Covenant. So he's comparing the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. This is almost the whole book of Hebrews. This is what the Old Covenant looks like. This is how it's better in the New Covenant. Over and over and over again, we will see this. It's complicated, but I want to draw our our attention to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, kind of the summation of the writer's argument here. Hebrews 4, verse 9. He says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Just those two verses. The concluding point the author is making is that if we have entered God's rest, God's Sabbath rest for his people, then that means we rest from our works just like God rested from his. This is the ultimate point in the Sabbath. This is what it should be drawing us to to find its fulfillment in Christ. For there is not labor that humankind has endeavored to do. There's nothing that we as humans have tried to do that is persistent or is as universal as the labor to justify ourselves before God. Whether you know God or not, your conscience bears witness to your failures. I don't have to convince you that you do not measure up. You, even by your own definition of morality, you do not rise to that standard, let alone to the definition of perfection and morality that God gives us. I don't have to convince you of that. Every religion in the history of the world is about us trying to figure out how to work ourselves into justification before a God that we do not know. It's all about works working to prove that we are okay, that we can be forgiven, that no God is going to harbor, harbor wrath towards us because we worked hard enough to make up for the, the, the places where we were lacking. This is every single religion. All of them. Everyone. Save one. Christianity. The Sabbath points us to a place where we can rest from that work where we can trust in God just like the psalmist does, where we can say, I lie down. We can lay our heads down in sleep, and even more so, we can lay our heads down in death and trust that he will keep us safe even to the end. This is the promise of the Sabbath, that his works are sufficient for our salvation, not our works. That in laying down our efforts, we are putting our faith in his efforts. That he is enough. You keep reading in Hebrews and you see how the author explains this in different ways. The whole book is explaining how this Old Testament law is now fulfilled in Christ. So if you fast forward to chapter 10, he's talking about the the sacrificial system and how it points to Jesus. And in this picture, you're talking about the sacrificial system, but you see the Sabbath oh so clearly. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Read that as work. Every priest works, but it can't take away sins. 
But when Christ had worked, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us for for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. For after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws what we've been studying, the Ten Commandments, on their hearts. Now we'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So do you understand what that says? That says, where the work is done, there's no need for more work. Where the work of forgiveness of sins is done, where the sacrifice has been made by Christ, there's no need for more work. So you can rest in Christ. This is the Sabbath. This is the ultimate picture of the Sabbath. Not just for one day a week, but for eternity that we find our rest in Him. We don't work anymore. We don't produce anymore because there's no need for any of it because His work is sufficient for all of it. That is the picture of the book of Hebrews. That is the picture of the Sabbath. So you move from the Old Testament to the New. You move from a a place where you say, give up a day to honor God, to the New Testament where you say, give up all your works because that honors God. And so there's three things that I want to give you as a take-home application for this this morning. Three things that we can do. So, I mean, where where does all this leave us? Because I know some of you are sitting there saying, so can I go to Walmart now or not? Can, can, Can... can I, can I go eat somewhere right now or not? I don't understand. Can I go play a round of golf? Can I do this? What am I supposed to do now? So my first application is this. You need for rest. You need rest. Your need for rest is woven into the fabric of creation. You cannot keep going at all times. Whether we're talking about physical production of work, or whether we're talking about the works trying to, trying to justify ourselves before God. You must rest. You must stop, and you must stop regularly. If you find that, that you're constantly saying, I just can't get everything I need done to fit into seven days, let alone into six, then the question that you have to stop and ask is why? What do you value? What is it that you need to produce so badly? What is it that you need to get done so badly? What do you think you need? What is it that that convinces you you can do better in seven days what you couldn't do in six? We must find rest in a regular weekly rhythm. And if you start looking at your week and you realize, well, I can't give this up and I can't give that up and I can't give this up, then what you are probably going to find is that place where God is saying, that's exactly what you need to give up because that's become an idol to you. Because you depend too much on being able to accomplish whatever that one thing is than you do to trust me. That is the definition of an idol. Whenever you believe in doing one thing more than trusting in what God has given you in something else. That's the definition of an idol. So, does that mean that you can't go home and mow today? I've got a riding lawnmower. For two hours, for me to sit on that riding lawnmower is one of the most peaceful two hours of my week, right? It is a restful moment for me. Does that mean you can't mow? No, it doesn't mean you can't go mow. 
Does it mean that you can't go home and cook a big meal for your family or you can't go and work out because you got some more time on a Sunday or you can't go shopping because you need to get some other things done? Maybe. I I mean, nobody likes these kind of answers, but maybe. It kind of depends on your heart behind that. For some people doing those things, cooking a big meal is super restful. For other people, it's like, I'm going to die if I have to stay in this kitchen for another five minutes and it's going to taste terrible anyway, right? So it depends on you. Some people can feel the pleasure of God because they can cook a great meal for their family. If that's you, man, cook away. If that's not you, then maybe you need to have a, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So it just depends. It just depends. Is working out a horrible chore for you? Well, then don't work out. Is it a place where you find peace and rest? Then go work out. Do you need to get the dishes done so that you can survive the rest of the week? Well, if knocking that out makes you feel better and calms you down, then do the dishes. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what that thing is you feel like you've got to get done. But I'll tell you this much. Producing more is not going to make you happy. Getting more done is not going to make you happy if that's all you're ever wired to do. There's got to be a place where you can say, I'm resting now. And when you rest, you recognize that this is how God has made you, and you remember what He has done. Right? So this is the application. You have to have a place where you can intentionally rest. Some of you guys here work on Sundays, and you're trying to figure out, well, well how, how do I do this? Because i got a job. Do I need to quit my job? Can, we can't all just work at Chick-fil-A. So what do we do? Like, I'm, I'm working. This is a job for me. What, what, what am I supposed to do, right? It doesn't have to be tied to a Sunday. The point is that you stop and that you rest. The point is that you stop and you quit trying to manage it all yourself, right? That's the point in the Sabbath. Now, I'll make a pretty strong case here, a pretty strong case that the best application of the Sabbath is for you to gather with God's people and to worship. Because you can remember so much about your, your redemption and your salvation, but there's nothing that can replace being with God's people to help you remember that. And to help you celebrate that. So that's the second point here. Sabbath must be about rest, but it also must be about remembering. And remembering what God has done. Another word for this is worship. The Sabbath should be about worship. Worship is less about how we feel and more about who God is and what he has done. Sabbath is an intentional time to reflect on these things. And it's always best when that can be tied to corporate worship, when you can remember together. Now, I'm not saying you can never miss church, but what, I'm always, but what I am saying is that you should prioritize church. What I am saying is that you should, you should protect Sunday mornings to be with God's people to the best of your ability. Does that mean you can't be gone on vacation or you can't, you got this or that going on or that there's not seasons where you absolutely have to, you just have to do this because of what your job requires? Listen, all those things are possible, but, but all those things should be exceptions to the rule, not the rule. The rule should be you try to gather God's people to rest and to remember. 
We are far too quick to give up our time with one another, remembering God for much lesser gods. God is not neutral on this idea. And the final place of application is that the Sabbath is a a picture of a much larger reality. And you cannot experience true Sabbath, true rest. I don't care how good your nap is that you take while the football game is on this afternoon. You cannot experience true rest in this life unless you have placed your full trust in Christ. You will always try to work harder. You will always try to justify yourself. You will always try to convince yourself and others that you're not that bad, that you're really a good guy, that you're really a a good person, that you're really okay to be around, that you're really enough, and you'll never be enough. Not if there were an eight-day week, a nine-day week. If you had the rest of eternity to prove yourself, you would never be able to work hard enough. There's no amount of works that can justify you. Simply trusting in the work that has been done is all that we can do. And so my call to you today is to rest, to remember, and to worship. And to worship in a way that says, I lay it all down. And I trust in the finished work of Christ. That is the picture of the Sabbath. And that's what it means to worship him and to give your life to him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that we are able to hear these words and we are to, to, to be able to um, step away from the, these things that we are so hardwired to do. Father, it is our confession. For many of us, it is our repentance this morning that we bring to you to say that we, we struggle so hard to rest. It's so difficult for us to just stop and to believe that you have it all under control. Father, help us to trust in you, to trust in the finished work of Christ, to trust in the application of that work to our hearts by the Spirit. Father, help us to find a place where we can rest in you and that you are enough and that we can just stop, rest, remember, and worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.